0: and teach from God's Word. Uh, We are in such an important series walking through John's first letter. Last week we introduced the book of 1 John saying that John has a message to proclaim. And that message that John would proclaim would bring fellowship with God, with one another, and it would bring about perfect and complete joy. And I love that. We talked last week as we walk through, we're trying to really clarify what is the book of 1 John about? And we said it's refining doctrine, sharpening obedience and increasing devotion. And we said, ask these three questions every week. And I'm gonna ask that you ask these questions this morning. What are the things that I need to know? What are the truths that I need to know? What are the commands that I need to obey? And who am I called to love and serve. Last week we gave this introduction, here's Jesus, meet Jesus. And for some of us uh, it, it was a reminder, for some of us it was an introduction into who is Jesus. And the question this morning, and I love it because my kids came up to me last night and they said, hey dad, what are you teaching on tomorrow morning? And I said, it's all about keeping Jesus close. Last week was Meet Jesus, and this week is how, to, how do we stay in fellowship with Jesus? How do we stay close to Jesus? And if I were to just ask you this morning, and I want you to really take stock, take inventory of where you are this morning. How's your relationship with Jesus? And how would you answer that question if we were sitting across the table from one another? maybe sharing a meal together or a cup of coffee, and I were to just ask you, how's your relationship with Jesus? Does Jesus seem close? Does Jesus seem far? Does does Jesus seem near? If you were to rank yourself, you were to, to say, you know, one is just our relationship is ice cold, and 10, our relationship is burning hot. Like, where, where would you fall? And I want us to, to really answer that question sincerely this morning. How's your relationship with Jesus? I think we so often neglect, or maybe we assume, that everyone's relationship with Jesus is great. That we're walking In relationship with Jesus, we're reading God's Word, we're practicing life in community, we're praying, we're conversing, we're talking with God. It seems like everything should be good. But when's the last time you sincerely looked at the person sitting next to you or someone in your family or a friend and seriously just asked, how's your relationship with Jesus? I've never been asked that question. And I bet for most of you, you probably assume Justin is a pastor of our church. Obviously, his relationship with Jesus must be going pretty well. His prayer life, he's disciplined. Everything in life must just be Skittles and rainbows, right? I was talking with Greg earlier this week, and I said, in some ways, my own walk with Jesus and, like, my own relationship with Jesus, I, I struggle in knowing its authenticity. And part of the reason why I struggle with that is I'm, I'm like, a paid professional Christian, in some ways, like my profession is reading God's word and knowing what God's word says and conversing with God and talking with God. And, and I'm like, if, if I was just an ordinary guy, how would my relationship with Jesus be? Ever since I became a follower of Jesus, when I was 18 years old, I jumped into ministry. I've served in ministry. I've been engaged in ministry. There's never been a season since I was 18 years old that I wasn't paid or employed or on staff at a church. But I can tell you and I can guarantee, I need to ask myself that question often. How's my relationship with Jesus? Is Jesus near? Is Jesus close? I read a book this past year by an author named J. Ryan Lister about the presence and fellowship of God. And the whole central story of his book was that the presence of God, the fellowship with God, is the central storyline throughout all of Scripture. If If I were to come to you and ask, what is the Bible about? J. Ryan Lister would say, the Bible is about experiencing the presence of God. That's it. And there's there's 66 books written across 1600 years, written by 40 different authors that talk about people experiencing the presence of God. And he would say that that is the central goal in God's redemptive mission, is to help people experience the presence of God. And he says the presence of God is not just a a future promise awaiting fulfillment, it's not just something that we're going to experience at the end of our life when we go to heaven, but it's something we can experience now. And so his book basically takes the Bible and breaks it down all the way from Genesis to Revelation and talks about, let me show you where the evidences are that it's all about the presence of God. And so he goes let's start at the end and he goes all the way to revelation. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 through 4 it says, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband." And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. It seems like this is like the ending, like the the central focus of what's happening here. There was a city, that the city would come, that the city would be experienced, and God's dwelling place would be with man, in a way in which it seemed like that's been broken. What's interesting is you go all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis, and you read about Life in the Garden with Adam and Eve. One of the things that the author says in the book, he says, The garden represents the way the world was supposed to be and, w- and the way the world could have been if it would not have been for sin. What we see in Genesis and Revelation is the ideal world. It's the idea experience, experiencing the presence of God, walking in unity with God, not experiencing the guilt and shame that comes with sin, but walking in complete fellowship with God the Father. And we read this in Genesis, we see this in Revelation, but we see all from Genesis to Revelation, the storyline of God bringing his presence to a people. And the whole nature of why Jesus comes is to bring fellowship with God near. He says the Garden of Eden is a prototype of the world planned by God. That was the design. I remember when I was a college pastor, right after college, I actually became a college pastor. I wouldn't recommend that, but uh, I preached a message called How to Get Naked. It was a clever title for college students, right? But I was in Texas, so it was How to Get Naked. That's how we said it. Clever title, but the whole idea is how do we get back to Adam and Eve in the garden, perfect unity, fellowship with God the Father, not experiencing guilt and shame. That was the idea. And what 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 10 teaches us is that there's a way to get back there. There's a way to come back into right fellowship with God. If we were to think back to what we taught on last week, we talked about the fact that John is inviting us into fellowship. John is inviting us into fellowship with one another. And John is inviting us to experience complete joy. And we might ask, well, why is it then for me in particular, why is it that my fellowship with God and others is not as full as it should be? How do we maintain fellowship with God? How are we to walk with Jesus and experience complete joy? And if I could give you a big subtitle of what today's message is all about, Jesus is inviting us to walk with him and experience Fellowship and complete joy. The question is, is how do we maintain that? How do we do that? Because I have no doubt that there are people here who desire to have fellowship with God. I have no doubt that there are people here who desire to have perfect and complete joy. How do we do that? Well, I think what's interesting is what he says in verse 5 as... The answer to that the first thing that we must do is we must walk in knowledge of God walk in knowledge of God that's number one there will be three points it says in verse 5 this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you now I'll stop there and here's what John is saying John is saying I, ha- I have a message I heard this message from him Jesus, I heard this message from him and I come to proclaim to you. And the word proclaim literally means to herald. Now, someone who would herald would typically be employed by the king. King sits over a city, king sits over a land, providence, and this king would have heralds. The king would have news to declare, And he would give that to a messenger. And that messenger would then go all throughout the city to proclaim this news. So you can imagine this was a common occurrence that you would see heralds walk through the city proclaiming news of the king. And here comes John proclaiming news of a whole other type of king, King Jesus. And the, king, the, king, the message that King Jesus comes to bring is, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, which I find fascinating and interesting. Here's why. I want you to ask yourself for a, qu- for, for a second, if I'm ex- to experience fellowship with God the Father, if I'm to walk in complete joy, if I'm to experience that type of nearness and closeness, Why does it matter that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all? It's interesting that that's the way that that John defines God. That's interesting that that's the message that he came to proclaim. Because it doesn't necessarily sound like good news. In fact, it sounds like quite the opposite. The fact that there is no darkness in God and me truly knowing myself that there is darkness in me seems like out of the gates, the very message of God is one of separation. I know my heart. You know your heart. And the truth is, is that darkness exists in all of us. And there is a major chasm between us and God. That is the first and foremost central message. The first and foremost central message is not, God is love, and we love to teach that. In fact, John's going to teach it. God is love, but it's not his central message. God is light is his central message. Purifying bright, white, clear light pure, holy, separate, unlike any other. That is God. And how you define God determines how you live. Here's why. Something has to change. Either my definition of God has to change, or I have to change. If I look at the nature and character of God and the very fact that God is light, holy, pure, true, and I know myself, it's easier for me to redefine God and take away some of the expectations and commands of God so that I don't have to change me so that I fit in with God. But that's not what this text says. This text very clearly tells us God is light. And this is a foundational statement of why our fellowship with God can seem distant at times. Because it it points to some of the the false nature of ourself. Number one, we are not the light. We can't have fellowship with the light while walking in darkness. But the very central message of the gospel deals with our darkness. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 talks about being unequally yoked, talking about being married a believer to an unbeliever. But what's interesting is, there's a phrase that's used at the end of that, and it says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? And that's, verse five is the very reason why there is brokenness in our relationship with God, that it's difficult to experience fellowship with God because God is light. When you start with the truth that God is light, all other false claims are exposed. So we have to truly walk in knowledge of God. We need to have a a good definition of who is God. We cannot redefine God to our liking and have fellowship. And the reality is you know that, which is why you don't experience complete joy. This book is, one, all about fellowship. How do we have fellowship with God? And we can't have fellowship with God if we redefine God, if we make God in our own image. We can easily scale down the expectation, scale down God's holiness, scale down God's perfection, and what we've made is a false God. It's not the God of the Bible. Our God is a God of light. I can't tell you how many times I've heard and probably even three to four times this last week in conversation with people at the grocery store, at the gym. The topic of Christianity or religion comes up and almost immediately the next line that I hear out of people's mouth is, you know, I really believe if If we all just do all the good we possibly can, if we go to church, if we display love, then we're all going to be all right. And what you've just clarified to me is that you think that you're heaping up a pile of good works, and by heaping up a pile of good works, that God is going to dismiss all of our sinful deeds. The truth of the Bible says that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. He does not overlook sin. He punishes sin, which is the very reason the cross exists. If the standard is that God is going to overlook it, then there really is no need for the cross. You want to know what the standard is? The standard is Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, and this may seem weighty, but good news is coming. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48 says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Anybody feel like we got that obtained? There shouldn't be a hand in the room. None of us can obtain perfection. None of us. But good news is coming. Hang on. We all attempt to persuade ourselves that all is right between us and God, right? Because that's where joy comes from. If, if we're good with God, then that's where joy comes from. And so we persuade ourselves. Joy comes from knowing that we are in fellowship with God, And so John spends his whole book helping us not doubt it, not question it, but have assurance in it. We want this type of fellowship. So how do we do it? He gives us this message in verse 5, the message we've heard from him proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then he goes in and he tells us some things we must walk in. The second point is this. Not only do we need to walk in knowledge of God, we need to have a correct definition of who is God, but we need to walk in truth. We need to walk in truth. There are five or six, I can't remember how many if statements in this passage. If you claim this, then this must be true in your life. If this is true, then this must be true. And what ultimately John is is saying that there are some false claims that are coming up in this church at this time, verse 6 through 10. If we say we have fellowship with Him while walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. So there's there's reality here that there are probably some who've said, it's okay to walk in sin. That was one of the claims. And that's one of the things he's addressing. It's okay to walk in sin. And he's saying, sure, but you can't claim that and have fellowship with God. Those two cannot exist. Some would say, and we've talked about redefining doctrine, there's a doctrine called antinomianism that basically says any sin that we commit is outside of our body, it's the fleshly part of us. And so I can literally say that I have no sin because it's the fleshly part of me. And this was a common belief of those times. But the reality is, is that's not true. There are some that say, hey, Christ will forgive sin, so I can just go on and commit all the sins I want. And he says, that's not someone who has fellowship with God. There are some that they don't have any sin. They're like, I'm perfect. I'm sinless. And he says they're blind and ignorant. This is his words. So John is pointing out you can't say one thing and act another. He says, if this is true, this must be true. So he gives us three ways to walk in truth. The first one, some of us, verse 6, we walk in sin. Verse 6 says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. It doesn't say he doesn't know the truth. It says he doesn't practice the truth. And that's a key point that I want to point out. There's a lot of people who look at this and go, can a believer, this letter, 1 John, was written to believers, can a believer walk in darkness? And there are some that would say, yes, they can walk in darkness. They know the truth, they're just not practicing the truth. I would probably beg to say a sinner cannot walk in darkness. I will say that we do walk in sin, but our lives are not occupied by sin. To walk in something means to be occupied with something, that it occupies our life. To be occupied with darkness means to live in a state of darkness and sinful patterns and habitual practices. And I think what John is is writing about is he's helping people discern, like, do I really have right relationship with God? And I would say someone who continually walks in habitual sin over and over and over again, who is occupied with darkness and no desire to have fellowship with God and walk in light is not someone born of God. And it's to wrestle with. It's saying we're not being truthful with ourselves. We're not practicing the truth. It doesn't mean we're sinless. There are a lot of people who believe because they're a Christian and they've given their life over to Jesus that they no longer sin. The reality is, it the very last verse of this text it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. We say God is a liar. Why? Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And so we, we see in this text that we cannot walk in sin. If we are walking in darkness, we cannot have fellowship with someone who is walking in light. And if God is light, we're walking in a complete other direction. Maybe, number two, you're, you're, you're free of sin. Some of us walk in sin. We're continually walking in darkness. Some of us say we're free of sin. Now, I know that probably most of us here in the room would not make the claim that you're sinless and that you're perfect, but many of us would minimize our sin. We cover, we hide, we deny, and we lie about our sin. We conceal our sin. Because we want others to believe we're free of sin. In verse 8, it says, if we say we have no sin, what do we do? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We lie to ourselves. Why would we do that? Let me give you an answer. Because I'll be the first to say that it's easy to conceal, to hide, to deny, to cover up our sinful areas. The reason we do that is because we know that God is light, and we know that God's standard is high. We know the standard that God is looking for. God is looking for a life of righteousness, not filled with stains and impurity, a life that is free of sin. We know that God is is searching for those who are righteous, and so you and I, we look for our righteousness in other things other than Christ. Let me give you some areas of righteousness. These came from Bob Thune's book, Gospel-Centered Life. How about job righteousness? I'm a hard worker, so God will reward me. Family righteousness, because I do things right as a parent, I'm more godly than the parents who control their kids, who can't control their kids. Theological righteousness, I have good theology, so God prefers me over those who have bad theology. Intellectual righteousness, I'm better, I read, I'm more articulate, I'm more culturally savvy than others, which obviously makes me superior. Schedule righteousness, I'm self-disciplined and rigorous in my time management, which makes me more mature than others. Flexibility righteousness, in a world that's busy, I'm flexible and relaxed. Mercy righteousness, I care about the poor and disadvantaged the way everyone else should. Legalistic righteousness, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls who do. Financial righteousness, I manage money wisely and stay out of debt political righteousness if you really love god you'll vote for my candidate tolerance righteousness i'm open minded and charitable to those who i don't agree with and the reality is all of us are trying to gain credit towards our account we're trying to gain a righteousness of our own we're trying to look for a way in which that we can walk and feel good about ourselves But what's interesting is this text teaches that that's not the way to fellowship with God. In many ways, we build up these false identities of of righteousness, and they actually minimize our view and need for relationship with God the Father. In verse 10, it says, if we say we've not sinned, we make Him a liar and So we call God is a liar. The cross is God saying you're a sinner. The the very sending of Jesus to the cross is God saying you are not perfect. You are a sinner. And to deny our need for that is to call God a liar to deny our need for the cross. Charles Spurgeon says, he who cannot find water in the sea is not more foolish than the man who cannot perceive sin in his members. We all have sin. Proverbs 28:13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain Mercy. So the only response that we have to maintain fellowship with God is to own our sin. Is to own our sin. And I, can, can we just be honest here for just a few moments? Because all of us in relationship with the people in this room whether we fall under critique from from our neighbor from our friend maybe they're calling us out on something and immediately we begin to defend immediately we begin to protect ourselves immediately we begin to blame immediately we begin to conceal immediately we begin to hide it just goes to show how little we truly believe the gospel. Because the appropriate response, but not the immediate response, the appropriate response is to agree, is to go, yeah, I'm not so great. Yeah, there's areas of my life that still need shaping. Yeah, there's areas of my life that are still dark. My thought life, my actions, my response, my attitude, my behavior sometimes doesn't match up with the character and nature of Jesus. It's true. And the Bible tells us that when we agree with God about our sin, when we own our sin, it says, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's another if statement. It doesn't happen just out of the blue. It says, if we confess. If we confess, the word confession literally means to agree with God. To go, yep, That's true, it's true. To agree with God and call sin, sin. We live in a day and age where we don't wanna call sin, sin. We redefine it. The commands of scripture are not suggestions. their callings, their commands of God our Father to walk in them. And you and I, if we're honest, are imperfect human beings, and it's only because the blood of Jesus that we can obtain righteousness. Many of us fail to do what verse 7 says, where it says to walk in the light. And this is what it means. For us to to truly have fellowship with God the Father means to walk in the light. In John chapter 3, the the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 19, it says, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. Why? Because the light exposes. And it feels like judgment. When Jesus came and the light of the world came into the world, our evil deeds, our dark hearts were exposed. And because of that darkness being exposed, we ran from the light. Why? Because darkness reveals or light reveals what is true. I remember a time in Texas, I think I've shared this story before, where we went deer hunting one, early one morning. We woke up before the sun was risen, and it was pitch black. There wasn't a, a, a light in the sky, the moon wasn't out. And I remember like, this was one of the first times I went hunting. And, and when, if, when you're hunting, you, you do some ridiculous things like spraying no-scent stuff all over you and like all sorts of crazy things, right? And, and so I did everything that was prescribed to me and I climbed up into the deer blind and it's dark and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I start hearing noises. And I'm I hear rustling in the trees and I'm like, "Oh man, like I'm going to get a deer this morning. This is so exciting." And it's getting louder and louder and louder, and it keeps coming in, and it's getting brighter and brighter, and the light's coming up, and I'm getting excited. I'm like, this no sense stuff works so well. They can't, they're they're like right next to me. They don't even know I'm here. And the sun comes up, and I'm surrounded by a herd of cows. Light reveals. Light reveals. I couldn't see it in the dark. But the truth was revealed as the light came upon. It was like, oh, that's not what I was hoping for, right? And the reality is, is many of us avoid the light for that reason. Because light reveals. But we're called to walk in the light. To have fellowship with God the Father means to walk in the light. I have a pastoral coach that I meet with, and he just took a new job as a pastor of spiritual formation. And here's his job title uh, description. I help people spend time with Jesus so they become like Jesus and do what Jesus is inviting them to do. I'm like, that sounds like an awesome job. I help people spend time with Jesus so they become like Jesus and do what Jesus is inviting them to do. And I read that and I go, that's what it looks like to walk in the light. To walk in the light means spending time with Jesus so that we become like Jesus and we do what Jesus is inviting us to do. If we wanna walk in the light, if we wanna walk in fellowship with God, then we spend time with Jesus so we can become like Jesus and do what Jesus is inviting us to do. So that's where I get to my last point. We're to walk in relationship with Jesus. To walk with Jesus. If If we know anyone who walked in perfection did everything the Father asked him to do, was completely obedient to God the Father. It's Jesus, and we have an account of his life. The Gospels give us a picture of how Jesus walked, and we wanna walk with Jesus. And so if you're here this morning, when, when I read this text, I'm blown away that fellowship with God is even possible that we can experience the very presence and relationship and, and character of God, that we can be in fellowship with Him by walking with Jesus. So to go back to my first question, how's your relationship with Jesus? How's your walk with Jesus? You're not asked to be perfect, church. When I read the text in Matthew chapter 5, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, I want you to hear, we don't walk with Jesus by being perfect, but by receiving that which is perfect and acknowledging our imperfection. That's what this text teaches us. We do not walk in fellowship with God by being perfect. You won't do it. You'll never do it. But only by receiving that which is perfect and acknowledging our imperfection. It says that God is faithful and just. If we confess, if we confess, if we own our sin, if we come to Him with our sin, If we come to Him, not with our perfection, but with our imperfection, if we come to God in our imperfection and we confess to Him and we agree with Him that our sin is sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the question. What's keeping you at a distance this morning? What's causing you to stiff arm God? Can I tell you what this text tells me? Our sin, your sin, will never change your sonship but it will change your fellowship. We may say that because I'm in Christ that my sin has no consequences. Your sin does have consequences. It stiff arms God. It puts God at a distance. But when we acknowledge our sin, when we see that our sin breaks fellowship with God, that we would be quick to confess. So here's what I want us to do this morning, a time of confession. And I want to put you at ease because there are other texts that talk about confessing our sins to one another, but this isn't one of them. This text says, if. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who are we confessing to? We're confessing to God. So I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to just pause for a moment. What hinders us, what stands in the way of our right relationship with God is sin. Sin is the barrier, because God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So would you just confess to God right there where you are? Confess your heart, your need, your longing, your desire for relationship with Him. And as you do that, and here in just a few minutes, the the worship team can go ahead and come on up. Here in just a few minutes, when we receive communion, I pray that it would be a tangible response of receiving the forgiveness and grace of your Father who loves you. He loves you, church. He loves you. There's not a sin that you can commit. You can never wear out the patience of your God. He is always faithful and just to forgive. Always. So this morning, would you come back into right fellowship with him? Would you ask him for forgiveness and grace to be poured upon you? Father, I pray this morning that we would be quick to confess, that you would be quick to reveal sinful areas of our life, that you will show us and remind us that we cannot walk in darkness and walk in fellowship with you. They cannot coexist. Lord, would you allow us right now in the next few moments as we sing, as we receive communion, as your church, as your sons and daughters, may we know that we have complete forgiveness, not partial forgiveness, That we have complete love, not partial love. That we have complete grace, not partial grace. And that we would no longer live at distance from you, but walk near to you. May we not see you as an angry father, but a father who loves us and is quick to forgive. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. In the next few moments, we're gonna sing together. And I wanna give you an opportunity to have someone pray for you. Again, we don't have to pretend in this room. This is a room full of grace. And while, though, while, while we may not practice it perfectly, we do desire to practice it and we want to extend grace to one another. What's interesting about this text, a quick teaching point, it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, and you think it would say with God there, but it actually says with one another, which is interesting. That part of walking in fellowship with God is being in right relationship with one another. And maybe there's someone we do need to confess our sin to this morning. Maybe there's someone we need to go and pray with this morning. Back in the back room, we have a team of people who want to pray with you, who want to encourage you. Again, it can be anything as small as, hey, I need provision, like uh, there's things in my life that I need that I don't currently have. That would be an awesome prayer request. It could be something of, I want to have fellowship with God the Father, and I want to know Him as my Lord and Savior. That would be awesome. We would love to pray for you. It could be, Stuffy the cat is at home and wasn't feeling good this morning, and we'd love to pray for your cat but we'd maybe rather pray for dogs. But we'll pray for your cat too. I joke because big or small, God cares. And we care. And as your church family, we wanna pray with you, we wanna encourage you, we wanna walk with you in fellowship with God the Father and in fellowship with one another. If there's anything big or small this morning, would you give us the privilege and opportunity of praying with you? Uh, if they are wearing a name tag in the back, they're equipped to do so, and uh, would love to do so. I'm going to pray for us one more time, and then we'll we'll sing together. Father, thank you that you are a God of light, and while at first that may seem convicting and separating. You don't leave us walking in darkness. And not only did you come down, but you invited us to where you are. You invited us to walk in the light with you. And so, God, I pray that this morning you would help us to own our sin, to really believe the gospel for ourselves, the good news. That you're a faithful and just Father who forgives us and gives us right standing so that we can walk in right fellowship with you. That's true for every one of us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.